little more clarity on our call and, and our desire to do, uh, really to plant an, another New Testament church. You know, some people have asked me, why church planting? And you look at our society and you say, why not? And the truth is, is that the gospel is the answer. The Bible says uh, in, uh, that Jesus is the desire of all nations. Everybody's looking for something. And the thing is, is that we usually, as people, we try and fill it with something other than what truly is the answer, which is Jesus Christ. Even as he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And, you know, even Delta, you all know probably that area even somewhat better than I do in a lot of ways because it's I would say it's probably very similar here to Cortez. And there's a lot of people that uh, are kind of, well, I'm a good person and, you know, God's good and I'm good with God. And probably even even your conversations with your neighbors and with your friends and those that you come around, and we're, we're good. And the reality is, is Romans chapter 1 and verse number 18 says this, the wrath of God is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. We're all sinners. We all are ungodly and unrighteous before God. And when you are when you are in the category of a sinner, that means God's wrath is against you. Not, oh, the, 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 the big man upstairs has my back. Oh, God always takes care of me. Jesus told the Pharisees, he told even the Jews, he said, uh, you're of your father the devil because you do the works of the devil. And, and the devil likes to deceive people into thinking, well, I'm good with God. God, if God's good with me, I'm good with him. The reality is, is if you have not believed on Jesus Christ and his blood that he shed on the cross, you're not good with God. In right. fact, you're the enemy right. of God. Amen. But God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's desire. And you know, I'm so thankful. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8 says this, but God commended his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, what is it? Christ died for us. That he's willing. He loves us so much. So he's made a way. So even though his wrath is against sin and against us as really, even as his enemies, those that have rebelled against him, he's made a way for us to have forgiveness of sins. And I'm thankful for that. And, you know, you ask, well, why, why another church? Why do we need another church? There's lots of churches around. There's lots of churches here. There's lots of churches there. Because uh, not everything that calls itself a church is a church. And just because you, you say that you are something, it's not just what you say, it's what you do. Jesus said this, if you love me, keep my commandments. And America is full of churches that say, oh, we love Jesus Christ, we love God. And yet they care very little for the word that he left us. And they care very little for, for conducting church, even in the way that God has given for us. Jesus Christ said this as well. He said, upon this rock, speaking of himself, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Much of American Christianity that we see today is kind of, well, our society is getting crazy and people are going crazy and there's all kinds of things as riots going on in Atlanta uh, when I went through Portland it was a mess and it was just as much as you hear on the news yeah it's it's pretty bad up there you say man these places are terrible and it seems like our society's falling apart and it seems like we just can't vote the right person into office and it's affecting everything and gas prices are, are way higher than they were a couple years ago and we can look at all that and we see in our society we can have this mentality of well we just got to kind of hang on until the Lord comes back. Well, in some ways we do, but here's the thing. 
is that we're not just to hang on, we are to be moving forward. We are to be taking steps as local churches to move forward to do the work that God has called us to do. We're going to see a little more of that today in our passage of Scripture. We're going to be in Haggai chapter 1. So if you could turn there in your, in your Bible to Haggai chapter 1. Haggai is in the Minor Prophets. Easiest way to find that is to go to the book of Matthew and then take a left. And you will find the book of Haggai. second to get there. Haggai chapter 1. This is a very interesting passage of scripture and I love this passage of scripture uh, because the reality is, is that every time I read it, every time I, I preach it, every time I go through it, it steps on my toes. And I hope it'll step on your toes. I hope that you're not just coming to church just to hear a little bit of uh, just enough religion to make you feel a little better about yourself. But then you go back and you live in just the regular way of life. Because the reality is, is that I don't naturally tend towards the life that God wants me to live. It, it takes some work. It takes some submission to God. And so naturally, we as human beings, we naturally tend to want to go our own way. But yet God has given us a way that, we want, that He wants us to live and that we ought to live. He's given us His Word. And if you're saved, He's given you His Holy Spirit to help you. In fact, Ephesians says it this way. Walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. And we have churches full of Christians who are continuing to reap corruption. Why? Because they won't walk in the Spirit. But as we see this here, Haggai is a, is a great book. And so I'd encourage you with this, uh, that if you feel like maybe that if this is uh, stepping on your toes a little bit, we're all in the same boat. Because this is something that we have to deal with, I would say, on a day-by-day Basis, And you're going to see a little bit more as we get into this passage here. Haggai chapter 1 and verse number 1. If you're there, would you say amen? Amen. Good, amen. Haggai chapter 1, verse number 1 says this. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord. Aren't you thankful for the word of the Lord? It wasn't just for them. We have it even for us today. Over 2,500 years later, we have the word of the Lord, and I'm thankful for that. Came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. Well, who is that? Well, it says it there. Governor of Judah. And to Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none more. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages, to put it into a bag with holes. Sounds like they were spinning their wheels, who might say. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. When God says something once, we ought to pay attention. When he says something twice, you really ought to pay attention. What is he trying to get across 
Consider your ways. Look at verse number 8. This is the key to this entire passage and really to the entire book of Haggai. So get it here. He says this. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little, and when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Did you catch that? He said, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would work in you. Through your word today, Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would help me to say what you would have me to say. Lord, I pray that you would confront us in the areas that we are not living right. Lord, I pray that you would correct us. But Lord, also that you would instruct us in the way that you would have us to go. And Lord, we just thank you that you don't leave us to figure out life on our own. But Lord, you've created us. Lord, you love us. And you've given us your word and your spirit, Lord, that we would know how we ought to live in a way that's pleasing and glorifying to you. Lord, I thank you for that. I pray that you bless in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We're going to get into uh, the, the little bit of the history of that. Before we do that, I want to ask you, what's your agenda for tomorrow? Agenda sometimes has a little bit of a negative connotation in the way that we use that. But really, an agenda just would be your plans. What's your plans for tomorrow? Maybe it might be that you're going to uh, go change your oil on your car. You're going to go shovel some snow or, or whatever it might be. You've got to get some laundry done. You, you're going to go to work and then you're going to get back. We all have an agenda, whether it be an agenda for the day, an agenda for the week, plans that we have for the week, an agenda for a certain period of time. Like it might be you say, I'm going to work at this certain job for a certain amount of time. We have kind of our plans, what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, you might say it this way. An agenda would be like this whenever you were a kid. And I know for some of you that's been a little while. But use your imagination. Remember back when you were a kid and your mom said, we're going to have guests that are going to come over. And so we need to clean up the house. How many know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Got to clean up the house. And so I want you to, to get the house clean. And so your mom's agenda for you as the kids, as the family, would be that the house would be clean. Not just that you would go through the actions of cleaning, not that you would just do certain parts, but that the end goal would be accomplished, which would be the house is clean. Your boss has an agenda for you. Usually you could probably sum it up this way. Uh, make the company money and make sure the company looks good. That's, you could kind of sum up. That would be your boss's agenda. With all of that, every single one of us have agendas for our lives, things that we want to accomplish. Did you know this? That God has an agenda for your life? And you can bow up and say, why does God get to have a say in my life? And the answer would be simply this. He created you. God is the creator. He is God. You are not. He knows how your life is to function. And so God has an agenda for your life. God had an agenda for the people of Israel. That is who we're looking at in the book of Haggai. Now, I want to back up and just say this. The, the New Testament church does not replace Israel. 
So even as we look this here, don't get caught up into a false doctrine that thinks, well, well, now we're the people of God. Well, we are part of that. We've been grafted in, but we do not replace Israel. And so we can't just come to the word of God and take all of the promises towards Israel and try to, to apply them to a local New Testament church. It doesn't work that way. Here's the thing. If you think that, that the New Testament church replaces Israel, you need to go read Romans chapter 9 and chapter 10. And especially chapter 11, and you need to listen to the warning that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives to believers, New Testament believers, who think that God has cut off the Israelites and that has replaced them with believers. And so now we as believers are something special. If you are a part of the family of God, it's not because you're something special. It's because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You are a sinner, remember, under the wrath of God. And yet God commended his love toward us and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for him. It's all of him and none of me. Believing on Jesus Christ, I'm thankful for those songs. Jesus paid it all, even before the throne of God. When you stand before God's throne, if you try and stand in your own righteousness, he's going to say this, depart from me, I never knew. But if you stand under the blood of Jesus Christ, you can have forgiveness of your sins. And it says this, his blood covers a multitude of sins. And I'm thankful for that. So even as we get into this, Israel, the church does not replace Israel. But what has been recorded, even in the book of Haggai, is for our example. It's for our edification. It's so that we can know how God it, how God was back then and how God is today because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Are we tracking together? Yeah. Amen. We're, we're, so we understand that this is not just, oh, now we replace Israel. But as we see this here, Israel was God's chosen people. They were a special group of people. Here's what they were to do. Israel was God's people. They were to have a relationship with God. In fact... They were to not only have a relationship with God, just like whenever Moses went up on the, the Mount Sinai and brought down the Ten Commandments, and God said, if you will keep my law, if you will keep my covenant, then I will bless you. They were to have a relationship with God. But that wasn't their only responsibility, because they were not only to have a relationship with God, they were to represent God to the heathen. You say, who are the heathen? Anybody that doesn't believe in God. That would probably be every single one of us. We didn't believe in God. We didn't trust in God. We weren't following God. And so they were to represent God to the heathen. And, and with that, here was even the primary way. Uh, let me just mention this. I'm thankful that God isn't just God of one group of people. That God loves the entire world. That God loves every people group, every person. That is God's desire. He doesn't just choose some certain people and then damn the rest to hell. No, he loves the world. And he's not willing that any should perish. And so God's people, the Israelites, they're to have a relationship with God. They're to represent God to the heathen. And one of the primary ways that they would do that would be with the temple. And the temple was, was a, a representation of Israel's relationship with God and then a testimony to the lost, those who didn't know God, of how Israel uh, was going to worship God. So with the temple, I believe even maybe the pinnacle, we might say, of the Israelites having a relationship with God and then representing God to the lost, to the heathen, would have been in Solomon's day. 
And in Solomon's day, he built the temple. And the temple was an amazing structure. I would say this. It would outdo any of the seven wonders of the world if it was in existence today. It was overlaid within with gold. It was expertly crafted together. It took thousands of people seven years to accomplish that building. Talk about a building project. Wow. And the temple was an amazing structure, but it wasn't just about the temple. It wasn't just about the gold and the ornate decorations that made the temple amazing. Because when Solomon went into the temple to worship God, here's what the Queen of Sheba said. This is a, a, a royal figure. This is somebody who is well-to-do. Here's what she said when she came to look at Israel and she heard of Solomon's wisdom and of the glory of Israel and of Israel's God. She sees Solomon, all of his wisdom, all of his riches, and then he goes into the temple to worship God. Why is that significant? When the king goes into the temple to worship God, here's what he's acknowledging. Everything that I have is because of him. And the queen of Sheba said this when she saw Solomon's ascent in the temple. She said, the half has not been told. Talk about God's people having a relationship with God and representing God to the lost. How many of you want that in your life? I want, I want to have a good relationship with God. I want to be a, repre, a representation, a good testimony to those who don't know God. And it was an amazing time. But the sad part about it is, is even in Solomon's day, he quickly turned aside. And the Israelites went through hundreds of years, sometimes of being obedient to their relationship to God and representing God to the lost, but more often than not, just going their own way. And year after year, time after time, kingdom after kingdom, God would send prophets, messengers that would give his word and say, come back to me, live in the way that I've asked you to live. Unless we be too hard on the Israelites, how many of us look back on our lives and see the same pattern? of life, of knowing what's right and still doing our own thing. And then sometimes coming back and, and trying to seek God. And we, re we recognize this is a human struggle. But eventually God said, enough is enough. And he brought down his judgment on Israel. And he came and he wiped out all of the southern kingdom, kingdom of Judah. And he wiped out all of Jerusalem. And he wiped out the temple. And the temple went from being a testimony in Solomon's day to being a proverb in the day of judgment. When someone walked by the temple in Solomon's day, they would say something like this, Wow, Israel's God is amazing. Or like the Queen of Sheba, the half has not been told. There's something to Israel's God. When they walked by the, the temple and the leveled ruins in the day of judgment, they would say this, Wow, Israel did something, must have done something really bad to make God this mad at but aren't you thankful that even in judgment, that there's still mercy? Because God allowed a remnant to be taken captive. They were taken captive, and for 70 years, they were in the land of Babylon. Now, I know some of you are saying, wow, all this history. Here's what it does. It helps us to understand what Haggai is trying to accomplish through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What he's trying to accomplish, because if we don't understand this passage and where we're coming to, we're probably not going to understand the truth, the message behind it. And I don't know about you, but I want to hear from God this morning. Amen. 
And, and as we understand the, the, the context and even the setting that we're in, we get a better glimpse into the truth. And here's the thing, is that when we see the similarities between God's people, Israel, we start to see some of those things in our own lives. And we see how God confronts that in their lives and then in our lives. Because here's what was happening. After 70 years, God put it on the heart of Cyrus. That would be the king of, really, the known world. He would be a, a world ruler. Cyrus... And he said, whoever is willing of the Israelites, you can go back and you can live in the land of Israel. You can live in the land God promised you and you can rebuild the temple. Now, unless you just kind of skip over that, that's pretty amazing. When a pagan king says God's people should go back and build God's temple, that would be like our president saying, I want an independent Baptist church in every city in America. Uh, not going to happen, right? That's not on his, that's not on his agenda. But, but as we see, God, God is working and he's bringing his people back for a very specific purpose. And here's what it was to do. They were to get back in the land. And when they get back to the land, it wasn't just to build up their houses. It wasn't just to get their farms going and to get their animals going and to take care of their needs. Here was the, here was the primary thing that they were supposed to do when they get back to the land. It was to continue to have a relationship with God and to again take up the mantle of representing God to the lost. They had broken God's covenant. They had failed God. God has brought his judgment upon them, and yet here's what he's doing. He's given them another chance. They didn't deserve it, but he's given them another chance to again take up the mantle of representing God to the lost, and the primary way that that was going to be accomplished was the temple needed to be rebuilt. So as they come, they get to the, the land, and they get started, and they build the foundation. And it's exciting, and they're excited, but don't you know, anytime you try and do something for God, whether it be as an individual, or whether it be corporately, there's always opposition. And literally, there were people that were in the land that didn't want the Israelites to come back, and they didn't want the Israelites to build the temple, and they wanted to, they wanted to uh, take advantage of them, and they wanted to drive them out, and they told lies about them, and sent letters back to a new king saying, hey, they're going to try and rebel against you. And here's what inevitably what happened. They allowed the opposition to cause them to stop doing the work that God had asked them to do. And as you try and do something for God, you're going to have opposition. And every single one of us has faced that in our lives. And here's what we're going to find. We have a choice. Either I can continue to do the work that God has called me to do, or I can say, you know what? We're just going to take a step back for now. And for 20 years, the foundation was laid. They got started good. But for 20 years, nothing happened. You tell me, how would your yard look if you left it for 20 years? We know a little bit about weeds and dirt and, and wind and everything. And you imagine, you can see it, that, that temple, that foundation. And for 20 years, it's just sitting there. Look at verse number 2 of chapter 1 here. It says this. We're going to go quickly through this passage. It says this. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Do you see the, the attitude of God's people? They're saying, we want to, we know that we need to build the temple, but it's just not the right time. 
it just, there just seems to be there just seems to be too much opposition. It just seems like like the the circumstances aren't right, and 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 we're just kind of we're waiting for the perfect time before we get back building the house. But it really wasn't happening. They said the time has come. The time is uh, the time is not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. It's just not the right time. I have some other things that are more pressing. And even in today. There are many that are here that are saying, you know what, I know there's some things that God wants me to be doing, but you know, I, I'll do it later. It's just not the right time. And yet God says, I see your heart, I see your thoughts, and you're saying it's not time. But look at verse number three. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie what? Waste. God's house is laying waste. When someone walks by the temple in Solomon's day, wow, Israel's God is amazing. When someone walks by the temple in the day of destruction, wow, Israel must have done something really bad to make their God this angry with them. When someone walks by the temple after 20 years of waste and of neglect and not doing the work, what do they say? Well, they might have said something like this. God must not be with his people Israel like he was in Solomon's day. Or even worse than that. God must not be as strong as he was in Solomon's day. And Israel is, even in God's mercy, they're already failing to represent God accurately to the lost. The lost is not going to get an accurate perception of God on their own. It's going to happen when God's people represent him to them. And Israel is misrepresenting God. Why? Because it's just not time to build God's house. But he says this. He says, this house lie waste. Is it time for you? He asked that question. That would be what you might call a rhetorical question. They know the answer. Is it time for you to dwell in your sealed houses? That means finished. So here's the thing. As they come back, they, they're trying to get settled in a new land. They're, they're kind of like, like almost like uh, pioneers getting back into the land and rebuilding things. And it takes a lot of work. And they're, and they're obviously an agricultural society. And so they're trying to get their crops out. And they're trying to take care of their animals because that's how they're going to feed their family. And they're trying to do all this. But it says not only this, not only are they just building a basic structure. It says this, they're living in a sealed house. That means everything's finished out. That's not, that's not plywood and, and just basic studs on the wall. No, that's, it's drywalled, it's painted, everything is nice. And he says, is it time for you to dwell in your sealed house, your finished house, your comfortable house, and my house lies waste? And I think that question would be good to ask yourself this morning. Is it time for me to focus on my comfort and God's house lie waste? Verse number four is a time, and this house lie waste. Verse number five, now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Take a step back and look at your life and look at the results that are coming and consider your ways. Consider your way of life. Look at what was happening. And here's what God does. He literally brings up what's happening in their life to, to cause them to consider their ways. Look at verse number six. Ye have sown much. They go out and they sow in the field and they plant a lot of seed. Ye have sown much and bring in what? Little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. 
Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Get a glimpse into the life of, of, a, of the typical farmer of that time. He's working hard, but he can't make it happen on his own land. And so here's what he decides. I'm going to go work for a wealthier man, someone that has some money, has some means. We're going through a hard time. The rain's not coming. The crops aren't growing. The animals aren't producing. We're just, I'm going to have to go work. And so he goes and he spends the day working and the, the wealthier man pays him his money his wages and he goes back home and he reaches into his purse to give his wife money to feed their family for the next day and there's nothing there and here was what you could describe God's people you would say this they were destitute and even as we look at that you say well brother Ian I, I'm not living destitute actually I'm living pretty well well, here's the thing, is that God's people, God was dealing with his people, Israel, in a certain way. And he was doing them primarily physically, with a physical, uh, with, with their physical actions and a physical building. But God's people today, the house of God, is not just a temple. And I, here's what I've seen is many people living their Christian life, and guess what? They're spiritually destitute. It's like they're, they're spinning their wheels. They're trying to get things. They're trying to find satisfaction. They're coming to church. They're doing the, the church things. They're doing the Bible things. But it seems like it's never fulfilling. It's never enough. And, and here's what it comes down to. Is that they're not considering their ways. He says, you're destitute. Verse number 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Consider your ways. Even as he says it, he says it again. He reminding them, this is what I want you to do. Verse number eight. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house. God says, here's what I want you to do. You build the house and I'll take care of your needs. Build the house and I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Did you catch that there? He said, my people, if you will do this, I will be pleased and I will be glorified. There's many people that want to talk about how God is love and that God it just accepts you as you are. And I'm thankful that God does accept us and love us as sinners. But he loves us too much to just allow us to stay that way. And there's something wrong when someone says, I love God, but they don't care about living in a way that's pleasing and glorifying to God. They say, I love Jesus Christ. Oh, I love Christ. But they don't even know what he teaches. I literally just read it this morning in Luke. He says, you say that you love me, but you don't keep my words. And he says it in another passage. If you love me, keep my commandments. So you say that you love God. You say, I love God. I, I'm a, I, I, I am a child of God. I, I want to serve God. If you do, live in a way that's pleasing and that's glorifying. And he says this, he says, I will be glorified, saith the Lord. And when you think about it, doesn't that kind of summarize how our lives, what our lives are about? Because your life isn't just about you being pleased. And it isn't just about you being glorified and everyone looking up to you. No, our lives are to be lived to please God. And our lives are to be lived to bring glory to God. And we're going to come back to that in just a second. But look at verse number 9. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. They go out in the field, and they sow a bunch of seed. They put a lot of effort. They take a chance. 
They sow the seed and they say, hopefully it's going to come back and it's going to bring a good crop. And when it comes time to harvest, it's a little. Barely enough to get by. And they come and they take that home and, and they, they try and store that for the next year. But look at what God says. He says, you look for much and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Did you catch that? This is God's people. And they're they are looking for much. And it's coming back little. And God says, when you brought it home, I did. Now, if God blows on your possessions, do you think you're going to have any left? This is the, the creator of the world. We don't compare to him. And God says, I and blowing out. And you say, wait a minute, that's not fair. God's people are living destitute. You're like, God, why aren't you taking care of your people? Why aren't you blessing them? Because here's what they were doing. And we could summarize this entire passage. Here's what they were doing. God had an agenda. Build my house and represent me to the lost because the lost is not going to know of me unless you accurately represent me to them. He said, this is my agenda for you. But the Israelites said, we'd rather do our own taking care of our house, taking care of our family, taking care of our needs. And obviously, those are all good things and necessary things. But then here's what they were doing. They were putting their agenda above God's agenda. And God will not bless his people when we continue to put our agenda above his agenda. Many people will say, God, why aren't you taking care of me? Why are things hard? Why does it seem like, well, maybe I'm... I'm financially blessed, but it seems spiritually like, like it's just not really happening. It could be that quite possibly we are putting the things that are more important to us above what God has said is important. And you say, well, this is the New Testament. This is, we are not the people of Israel. We, weren't suppo we aren't supposed to build a physical temple. Well, Jesus said it this way. He said it this way. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. God says, I know what your needs are. I know what, I know what, you, what you need in your life, and, and I can take care of those. But here's what I want you to do. If you're going to follow me, you must seek my kingdom first. And if we continue to go our own way and say, well, God, I know. It's not that I don't want to build your house. It's not that I don't want to fulfill your agenda, but I just got some things that are more pressing Here's what you're going to find. God's not going to bless it. And you're going to have the same result that the Israelites are having. You're going to be destitute. And that may not look physically destitute, but it could for sure look spiritually destitute. And the sad part about it is, is it seems like it's year after year after year after year. And God says to his people, consider your ways. They say this, that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and is expecting different results. And it could be that in some ways, spiritually speaking, where we are being insane by trying to just do the same things and living for ourselves and giving God the leftovers and expecting God to bless us spiritually and expecting to see God do a work and see God, see, uh, God use us to accomplish things for Him whenever we're just going about our own agenda. We're seeking our own Comfort instead of the things of God. Here's what he says. I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, 
and ye run every man unto his own house. And then he says, therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth stayed from her fruit. And he goes through every area of their lives, and he says, look, I am, I am causing, I am bringing hard times on you in every area of life, because why? Because God doesn't love his people? Because God wants to inflict harm on them? Because, because God doesn't like them? No, because here's what God knows. God's people are not designed to pursue their own agendas. And as long as they're pursuing their own agendas, you sow to the flesh, you reap what? Corruption. The wages of sin is what? Death. And as we continue to just go our own way, we're going to continue to reap that. But if we will submit to God's plan, if we will submit to God's way, well then guess what? Number one, he's pleased with it. Number two, he's glorified with our lives. And when you live a life that's pleasing and glorifying to God, you know what I found? Is that God brings even more. Not only does he take care of your needs, but he also blesses you with so much more. How many of you have found that to be true? That, that God blesses you, and He blesses us more than what we deserve. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to have anything, and God doesn't want you to, to uh, be able to, uh, to work a nice job and to get a decent salary and to have a nice house and to take care of, get a decent 401k and a Roth IRA. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to have those things, but here's what He says. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Put my agenda first. Why? Because God's people are not designed to pursue our own agenda. We are here for a purpose. You say, why, did God, why didn't God just take us to heaven? When, when I got saved, man, that'd be a blessing. To not have to deal with sin in my life, not to have to deal with sin in other people's lives, not have to deal with, with the, the pain and sickness and death that happens in this world, not have to deal with any of that, just be able to go to heaven. Why didn't God just take us to heaven whenever we get saved? Because he has a plan for you. We can say it this way. He has an agenda for you. Right. And it's that you would fulfill his agenda, his kingdom. How is the kingdom of God growing? We're, we're just a couple thoughts with application. We're going to be done here soon. How is the kingdom of God growing? Well, the kingdom of God is not just a physical area. The kingdom of God is spiritual. And the kingdom of God has grown when somebody who is a sinner realizes that they're a sinner. And they realize that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. In fact, Romans chapter 10 says it this way. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. And God's plan for the kingdom of God being grown is that more people would trust in him because God doesn't want people to die and go to hell. God doesn't want them to perish in their sins. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Repentance means a change of heart and mind saying, God, you're right, I'm wrong. And believing on him for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call upon him of whom they have not believed? How then should, you know, it's not just a prayer. It'll just say the magic prayer. No, it means true belief in your heart. How then shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a what? A preacher. You say, well, that's pastor job. No, that's every single believer's responsibility to tell your friends, to tell your neighbors, to tell your family the message of salvation because they cannot believe on Jesus Christ if they have not accurately heard the gospel. That's right. Amen. 
And God's plan for his kingdom to grow is for believers to be busy about his agenda. Now, here's the thing. The Great Commission, I think many of you would know it. You say, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. This is Jesus Christ speaking. He says, I have all power. And then he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. He's given that. Not just to individuals. He's given it to the local New Testament church. Can we say it this way? The local church is God's vehicle for seeing the kingdom of God grow. And so as you get plugged in at your local church, here's what we see. It is that God doesn't expect us to go and build just a physical building. Although a place to me is sure a blessing. Am I right? It's nice to have heating in the winter and have air conditioning in the summer. And it's nice to have room to sit down comfortably. That way you can listen. Not too comfortably because you don't want to fall asleep, right? But comfortably where you can listen and you can hear the word of God. It's a blessing to have this. And as, we, as you have more people, you need a place to meet. But it isn't just about the physical building. It isn't just about the building program. Well, we need a bigger building for more people. Here's what it's about. It's about people being added to the body of Christ. In fact, the, the New Testament speaks of the body of Christ, the local New Testament church, as a building. He even says it this way in 1 Corinthians. You are the temple of God. And God's agenda for you, if you are a born-again believer, God's agenda for you is that you would be involved in a local New Testament church. Why? To do what a local New Testament church is called to do. A New Testament church is not just a social club. A New Testament church is not just a, well, we come Sunday morning and that's good enough. It is a place to be encouraged and equipped from the Word of God to go out and do the work of God. Amen. And he says it, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And we can play religion and we can play Christianity and say, well, I, I can be a good Christian, I can please God, but I can do my own thing. Or we can say, God, you're right, and I'm wrong, and I'm going to submit to your agenda first. And I'm going to trust that if I will seek your kingdom first, that you'll take care of my needs, and you'll take care of my wants. And even with that, man, God blesses us so much more. This isn't just a, well, you can't ever do anything that you enjoy, or you can't ever do any fun. No, it just says... Put God's kingdom first. My life is not just about, well, I go to work so I can take care of my family, so I can have a little bit of savings, so I can have a nice house, and I can get a decent retirement. No, my life is about living a life that is having a good relationship with God and representing God to those who don't know Him. And how are they going to get saved? How are they going to believe on Jesus Christ if they don't hear the gospel? With that, look at chapter, verse number 12, and look at the Israelites and how they respond. <laughs> ben Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jozadik, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, what's that word there? Obey the voice of the Lord. That's the only appropriate response. When God confronts us in our hearts, that's the only appropriate response. God, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. They obey the voice of the Lord their God. They take a step of obedience, of faith, and they obey as the, word, as, uh, the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people did fear before the Lord. You know what's amazing? 
And, and we're just going to go through this quickly. But as God's people obey, you know what gets uh, adjusted? Their view of God. Because in this time before, when God's house is lying waste and they're destitute, you know what they might have been saying? God, I thought you were supposed to be with us. God, I thought you were supposed to bless us. Why did you bring us back to this land if you weren't going to take care of our needs? Why are we living destitute? God, you're not as good as what you say you are. And their view of God probably got a little askew. And yet, here's what happens. When they step out in obedience, their view of God gets right back in line. And they feared him. It means a reverential fear. Verse number 13. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, say the Lord. You can accomplish so much more with the presence of God than you ever could relying on your own power. But it only happens when we put God's agenda first. And he's verse number 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. It's just not the right time to build God's house. I just, I'm just not feeling it right now. You might say it this way even today. I, you know, it's just not, I'm just not feeling, yeah, I know what I should be doing. I, I know that there's some areas that I should be seeking God first. I know that I should be getting up in the morning and reading my Bible. I know that I should be studying God's Word so that I can tell my, my neighbor about the gospel and I'm ready to, to tell them. And I know that I should come and be involved and, and I should be giving to the things of church and I should be giving to missions. I know that I should be involved, but I'm just not feeling it. As they step out in obedience, their view of God is getting corrected. It's getting the right view of God. And, and they step out in that obedience and faith, and then guess what happens? God stirs up their spirit to do the work that he's called them. You say, I'm not feeling it right now. If you step out in obedience and say, God, you're right, you see God step into your life and say, I'm going to stir you up about my agenda. And then you can be excited because what is... What, what truly lasts? Do our houses, do they truly last? Do, does everything, do our jobs, is there really, is there any guarantee that you're going to have a job tomorrow? Is there any guarantee that you're going to have the money that's going to have the same value that it had a year ago? There's no guarantee, but you know what is eternal? The souls of mankind. And that's why Jesus said, seek ye first kingdom of God. Because what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? This is what our lives are about. And here's what we see. God's people, the Israelites, they were destitute and empty because they were putting their agenda above God's agenda. And I would encourage you with this today. Put God's agenda first. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 20. We're going to be done. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 20. With the thought of living in a way that's pleasing to God, and bringing glory to God. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. And verse number 20 it says this. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us. God still wants to do a work in this church. It says unto him be glory in the what? Church. church. By Christ Jesus throughout all ages. World without end. Amen. God's plan is still the same. Are you going to put God's agenda?
first. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's stand together this morning as we have a time of invitation. Lord, I just ask that you would work in our hearts. Lord, I know that you have been, Lord. So often it's easy day by day, Lord, to be focused on our own desires. Lord, so focused on our own agenda, Lord, that we ignore what you've called us to do. But Lord, that as we seek your kingdom first, Lord, things get in their proper perspective. Things get in the right order, Lord, and, and you can bless that. Lord, we still have to live in this world. We still have to work jobs and, and take care of our families and, and, and enjoy life. And Lord, I'm thankful that those gifts do come from you. But Lord, those ought to never take the place of our responsibility to you. And Lord, getting things back in their proper order. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that if there is anyone here this morning that has not submitted to you, Lord, in the area of salvation, Lord, that they're still trusting in themselves, or that they still think that they can figure out life, Lord, that they would trust you, that they would believe on your Son. They would trust you for salvation, Lord, and the, the blood that you shed on the, on the cross. Lord, I just pray that you would help believers, Lord, that they would be submitted, Lord, that you would do a work in the hearts of this church family. Lord, that they would step out in faith, and Lord, that you would see more people in this area come to know you, and the kingdom of God would be grown in this area. And Lord, that the blessings that would come of that, Lord, as a nation is obedient to you, as a community is, is submitted to you, Lord, just pray that you would do that work. But Lord, we know that it has to start in the house of God. We just pray that you would be in this invitation time, in Jesus' name. God spoke into your heart as the piano, piano gets to play. If God spoke in your heart, I encourage you to either there in your seat or maybe come here to the altar and do business with the Lord. Maybe it could be that you have been getting things out of order. You've been so focused on your life, your, your things that you're trying to accomplish, you haven't given any thought to what God expects of you. God's worked in your heart. I think it's only appropriate to respond. Take some time even right now. They're standing, they're kneeling, coming forward that you would respond to the Lord. Because He truly does know how our lives ought to be lived. If we'll get our lives in line with Him, we can have not only living a way that's pleasing and glorifying, but God blesses it. And a blessed life is far greater than trying to make everything happen in our own power. God's worked in your heart. I encourage you to do business with him this week.